0: Welcome back to the Evening Under Lamplight podcast series of talks, taking us down through Dante's Inferno. I'm Robert Louis Abrahamson, and we're now at Canto 3. Canto 2 ended, you'll recall, with Dante, after doubting his qualifications for descending into hell, being reassured that there is a heavenly blessing on this venture, and then once more consenting to follow Virgil, his leader, lord and master, Downward into the depths of hell, the infernal regions. We might expect canto three to begin with a description of their walking along, but no, it, it is one of, it's one of the abrupt openings in the inferno, with nine lines coming out of nowhere. Per me, it begins. Through me, one moves into the Dolente, the doleful city. Through me one moves into eternal pain. Through me one moves among the lost people. Who is this me? Well, we're told a few lines later that these words are inscribed on an archway, over a doorway, presumably the gateway into hell. Me, then, is the gateway, speaking its description of what will follow. And then it offers a little explanation. Divine justice, power, and wisdom made this gateway, and by extension, all of hell, as the first created thing in the universe. (laughs) Didn't Mark Twain once say that when a new town was established in the American West, the first thing they built was the jailhouse? Or the second was the brothel, but that's another story. Well, then, the final line in the archway, perhaps the most famous line in the Inferno, Lasciate ogni speranza voi quintrate. Abandon all hope, you who enter. Hard words, Dante remarks to Virgil, but instead of consoling him, Virgil warns him. From this point on, he says, you must get rid of all trace of distrust and cowardice. Dante must move on in faith, not shrinking from the sights he's about to witness. The the advice, of course, is addressed also to us, the readers. We too must take what comes in good faith, not quickly dismissing what we read as wrong or irrelevant, nor turning our head away even at the most painful parts of the poem. We're now going to enter the place I told you about, Virgil continues, where we shall see all those people, cano perduto il ben dell'intelletto, who have lost the good of the intellect, who have lost the good of the intellect. And only now does Virgil relent and soften up a little, and taking hold of Dante's hand and comforting him, he leads him on. On to what? Well, it's too dark to see in this place with no stars, no light, but there are plenty of sounds. Sighs, wailing, snatches of different languages and, and different accents. Cries of pain, anger, some loud, some soft. Hands slapping against flesh, all this noise whirling around, making Dante dizzy. Master, what is all this about?' Well, here they are in the region known as the Vestibule, where, Virgil explains, are found all those souls who never really lived. They never really made any choices, and thus, neither choosing good things and going to heaven, nor choosing to do evil and going to hell proper, they're just dumped here. Dante's eyes seem to be getting more used to the murky air here, and he can make out a long line of people running at top speed behind a banner. A line so long, and, and it wasn't the only line of runners in this place, so long that Dante marvels at how many people there are here. I had not thought death could have undone so many, he wonders. In other words, He sees more people here than he thought ever have existed in the history of the world. As he looks more closely, he sees that these figures are naked and tormented by flies and wasps who keep stinging them as they run, weeping all the time, and the mixture of their tears and the blood from these stings keeps dripping down onto the ground into gory puddles where worms and maggots are feeding and that's all we get. They're not worth more words. Let's move on, Virgil says. Now Dante looks ahead and sees a wide river. This, this is the river Acheron, one of the chief rivers in the Greek mythological underworld. There's a crowd of people waiting on the shore, w- waiting, it becomes clear, for a boat to come and take them across. And here comes the boatman, Charon, famous ferryman of Greek myth, an old man with long white hair and flaming eyes. He propels the boat to the shore and immediately starts raging at those waiting souls, taunting them, reminding them that he's taking them across the river to their never-ending pain. But wait, (laughs) he suddenly spots Dante, a living person. You don't belong here, Charon says. Get out. You're not destined for hell anyway. I can tell you'll be saved. But Dante now shows his courage and trust and does not obey Charon and move away. He stands fast and Virgil gives the password. This man has divine sanction to pass through here. Just be quiet and do your job. And Charon obeys and turns to his job. His job is to get all those lost souls into the boat. They're standing there lamenting, blaming everyone else. I-, I wouldn't be here now, damn it, if she hadn't made me steal that money from the payroll. I'm not supposed to be here. I just shot the guy, but he was the one who organised the whole thing. It's not my fault I'm here. If my parents had let me have the car, I wouldn't have ended up in that bar with Eddie and Jim, and wouldn't have, well, you know... And yet there's also something in them that impels them onwards, deeper into the place where they must end up. That and Karen's huge oar, smacking them hard if they don't move on to the boat fast enough. And they all crowd onto the boat, which quickly takes off from the shore but before very long there's another crowd gathered on the shore, waiting for the return of Charon and his boat. It's not clear whether Dante and Virgil have actually stepped into the boat and crossed the river, or whether they're still standing on the shore, but suddenly a tremendous wind rises up, and with it a lurid red flaming light, so intense and sudden that Dante is completely overwhelmed, and he falls down in a faint like someone dropping off into a deep sleep. He seems, he seems to be back where he was at the beginning of the poem, asleep. But this is a different kind of sleep, as he'll discover in the next canto. And now we have to spend a little time thinking about what's been going on in this canto. We could divide the canto into four parts. First, there's the relatively static opening, with the words at the gate of hell then two busy, rushed parts, and a final coda, with Dante coming to a halt as he faints, as though the weight of all those first three parts of the canto have been just too much for him. Well, let's look first at the gate into hell. In traditional mythic journeys, the the hero, once setting off on the journey, comes to some sort of threshold, leading him into a new world, often a world of magic, certainly a world of challenges, not to say temptations, tests he must overcome. It's a world that Joseph Campbell has described, in a phrase I've always liked, as a dream landscape of curiously fluid, ambiguous forms. We'll talk more about this later, but for now we have to attend to the threshold experience, where the hero always encounters some sort of guardian of the gate, guarding the threshold to make sure no one passes through who is not fit to pass through. Dante will meet several of these guards as he descends, coming in various forms. But here, the guard is simply a series of words, very hard words, as Dante remarks to Virgil. The first three lines begin with the same two words, per me, through me, the great ego words. We're entering the world of the egocentric, who see the whole world just through their own perspective, their own desires and needs. The words announce that on the other side is the città dolente, the dolorous city. That might strike a modern reader as a bit strange. Why is hell called a city? Well, for Dante, the city was an important, perhaps the essential, definition of a human society. We'll see as we proceed that every sin depicted below is an act that destroys the harmony of the city, of the organized interdependence of the people sharing their lives together in one place. St. Augustine had most famously described heaven as the city of God. In our world of dysfunctional, ruined city life, and our idealisation of individualism, perhaps we don't see urban life as the great ideal, and here we encounter one of the things in which Dante differs from us, and and one of the things reading Dante might cause us to think further about. In any case, this hell is a kind of anti-city, the very opposite of what a city should be. There is no cooperation. Everyone operates per me, for his or her own selfish purposes. That's why it's the dolorous city. And the sign says that hell was made by divine justice, power, and wisdom. Why is that? Well, look at it this way. Justice directs us in discerning what is right and wrong. Human beings have free will, a very important point for Dante, and having free will we are free to choose good or evil. If we choose to do the wrong thing and to live in error, then it is only just to allow us to do this and to allow us, in the end, to have what we have chosen. That's justice, letting everything come to its proper place. And then power enables this intricate anti-city to be constructed and operated. And wisdom discerns what is the most fitting punishment for each kind of sin. But wait, I I don't really like talking about punishment and sin. The the words have such loaded senses for us these days, especially after being hammered home by cruel preachers. I try to avoid these words as, as much as I can. They get in our way. And I always remember what I think it was Gil Bailey who said, In Dante, no one is ever punished for their sin. They are punished by their sin. So the situations these souls find themselves in is is not some kind of punishment inflicted from without, but a manifestation of the kind of life they have actually chosen for themselves. One more thing about these words on the gate. Abandon all hope, you who enter here. This does not just say that the souls relegated to hell will never be reprieved. No, it's, it's more complex than that. We have to refine our sense of what hope is all about. Vaclav Havel has famously said that hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless how it turns out. It's the virtue that enables us to hold on, even when we fail, even when things look, well, well hopeless. We hold on because we believe there is a larger pattern than we can see from our own limited perspective, a pattern that might gradually make itself known to us, perhaps only in hints and guesses. And so we must imagine that these souls in hell have given up any hope of any ultimate sense in the world. Seeing no further than their own limited view, they're stuck in that view, stuck where they are. And it's fitting, therefore, that, as as we'll see as we descend, most of the souls in hell move, if they move at all, only in circles, round and round, getting nowhere, without any hope of anything different. In fact, the whole architecture of hell is built upon a series of concentric circles, each successive circle becoming smaller and deeper down to the very centre. We have seen that it is at this point that Virgil counsels Dante once again to give up all cowardice and distrust. These qualities, distrust and cowardice, might be seen as the very opposite of hope. With distrust, we give up any hope that there could be anything better or different from what we see now. With cowardice, we are simply afraid of hoping or working for any kind of change in things. A change, we fear, might bring a further threat to our ego position. So although the damned souls must abandon this hope and remain in senseless circles... Dante, and us too, must abandon the opposite of hope, distrust, and cowardice if we are to progress further here. We've just made the intellectual distinction between hope on the one hand and distrust and cowardice on the other. That's a rational act. But Virgil now tells Dante that the inhabitants of hell have lost this power of reasoning. In a line that could stand as the motto for the whole of the inferno, he says that these people below have lost the good of the intellect. Well, we need our intellect to be sharp, to be able to see what we are doing so that we can choose the right path to follow, the right actions to take, or simply so we can be clear about what constitutes, say, hope, and what works against it. These people, though, have lost the good of their intellect. And how might that come about? We could lose the good of our intellect through bad teaching, through laziness, or through willful turning away because we don't like to think about the hard or unpleasant choices in front of us. Everyone in the inferno has lost the good of the intellect. In fact, as will become clear, they can only very dimly discern what's going on right in front of them. And so we should be prepared to see a succession of mindless, insane creatures here below, not very articulate, not able to focus very well, seeing only themselves, operated only by their own desires, which is a very narrow vision indeed. Hearing all the cries and wailings assailing his ears, Dante too starts weeping. In sympathy? Well, yes, perhaps, and Dante will have to learn how best to respond to the heart-rending pain he witnesses down here. Poetically, though, Dante's copying the actions of the others here identifies him with these others. He merges himself into their actions, and on this level we can see that perhaps Dante is now seeing himself in all of these damned souls and if so then he is doing just what the journey is meant to do for him he is seeing in these visions a more vivid picture of the things that have gone wrong inside himself so that seeing them he can repulse them and turn away in repentance it's a wasted journey if he doesn't see this connection Well, we've gone only part way into Canto 3, but I don't want to make these podcasts too long, and I think I'll break this off here and continue with the rest of the Canto in our next episode. So, come back for Canto 3, Part 2, and our discussion of the Pusillanimi, the people who never made a choice in life, who never had a life to speak of, and the encounter with Charon and the other newly dead souls, by the waters of Acheron. See you then.